I'm at the Red House with Trey Caldwell, old friend of mine. Thank you for coming over and doing this. <laughs> You're welcome. So uh, best way to jump in, I feel like, is to say I want to take the opportunity to learn more about your life and your perspective and your whatever, just you, your identity, I guess. The inner tray. The inner tray. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, have you read Dante's Inferno? <laughs> no, not lately. Okay. <laughs> Is it like that? <laughs> it's it's actually uh, it's more of a, a psychedelic trip than it is a dark place. <laughs> mm. It's very scattershot. Yeah, I've like uh, tried to pick up on some of the cliff notes of Dante's Inferno, at least to understand what it is as a work. <laughs> so I've I've heard a lot of people talk about the Inferno, but I've never actually read it. There's a lot of uh, classical shit that I just can't. I can't quite sink my teeth into sometimes due to the language, I guess. Yeah. It's, uh, even the best English translations are a little thick. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I went through a stretch when, uh, when I got out of high school and I thought, you know, there's all these books that are considered classics and, uh, we hadn't covered them when I was in school. So I started buying paperbacks and reading through classic books and just, you know, Man of La Mancha and, you know, whatever. I'd go to a bookstore and find something in the classics section and pull it out and take it home and read it. It was it was a fr pretty fun thing. I didn't go, I can't say that I've exactly gone through the whole catalog of <laughs> classical literature, but uh, Dante's Inferno ended up in that bunch, as did... Uh, Ulysses by James Joyce, mm. which is a also a very thick read. Um, it took me a while to understand what he was doing as a novelist when I was reading it, but uh, I ended up not liking the book. Some people think it's wonderful, but uh, it was too clever by half as far as I was concerned. Mm. But Inferno is... Uh, He's taking you, he's, he's designed hell as a series of layers and what kind of people end up in this layer and what kind of people end up in that layer. And uh, I'm, not a, I'm not a guy that believes in gods and demons and so uh, it just didn't, I didn't find it compelling. Mm. I'm the opposite in that way. Well, not totally opposite, because as far as I can tell, I don't think I'm the type of person that necessarily believes in gods and demons, but I find it really, really compelling for that, uh, d despite the fact that it's not necessarily what informs my view of the world these days. I just find, I find that symbolism really intoxicating, really like, uh, like I can't, I can't not love it for some reason. There seems to be a compulsion for humans across all civilizations to have a religious understanding of the world. Um, they, it seems that they, at the very least, they need to understand an incomprehensible world and a God makes that a lot easier. And I don't think there's a, uh, 
not being a God believer doesn't make me think I've got some great advantage in intellect over over Christians or um, or other people of faith. Um, I hold them in high regard. Some of the best people I've ever met have been Christians. That's are, right. That's actually something I've noticed about you, especially in my more angry atheistic days of like <laughs> expressing that stuff out in the world. Yeah. I remember you being somebody that's like way that was way more sort of like not at war with people with people of faith. No, I'm not. Yeah. Um, I I might have to be coming up, but I don't <laughs> think so. Um, like it's going to be really difficult to work through the issue of abortion because the two sides are irresolvable. Mm. Um, either a human is a human at conception or at some other time. Um, but if you believe that uh, we've got a person at conception, it doesn't. It makes perfect sense to me that you would feel a responsibility to protect the life of another human being. Yeah, I don't. I don't see it that way, but I can under. I can understand how you get to that point, and I respect it. Um, on the other hand, I got my um, a person. A, a person in a a womb becomes a person. Later than that, from Carl Sagan, who gave me the best uh, the best thought process I ever saw, um, and it ends up being uh, right there at the quickening. The quickening when the baby moves. Ah, when it moves inside the inside the womb for the first time. Yeah, sure. Why not? Um, so you got. Um, uh, a fertilized egg, and it ends up uh, uh, appropriately implanting itself. Thirty uh, percent of them don't. Uh, at least thirty percent, as they say, um, they're just washed out with the next time you flush. Um, the the process is uh, not precision, and most of the or a, a, a real chunk of fertilized eggs. Don't ever implant, mm-hmm. um, or they implant in such a way that they don't ever develop, and the woman never knows that she was ever pregnant, if you want to call it that. Um, but uh, then, so we say the uh, fertilized egg implants, and you can call that a a fetus, or you can choose to argue with whether it's a fetus. You can call it a baby if you want. But that's the stage you're at. And then in modern times, we're using fetal heartbeat. And fetal heartbeat happens somewhere around six or seven weeks. And they started um, setting the no abortions after six weeks um, across a bunch of red states. And the real fact is that they may be able to t- detect a uh, an electrical impulse. They can detect an electrical impulse somewhere around six or seven weeks, and then it turns out that the uh, 
the baby or the fetus doesn't have a heart yet. There's literally no heart. There's just an electrical signal. Um, and as the pregnancy progresses, um, other things happen. And Carl Sagan, he went through all this, but in the end, he went to brains. Um, that a human with no brain isn't really a human yet. Um, and so he was saying that uh, um, when you, the, it turns out that the, the brain is, um, is completing its initial development about 20 to 24 weeks, right what Roe had um, and right when the quickening starts. And the quickening has the advantage of being more consistent with Scripture than any other early part of the pregnancy. With Scripture? Um, you know, I did the Bible for uh, uh, a lot, but it was a long time ago, and mm. so I can't just call up chapter and verse anymore. Yeah. But it ta uh, the, the Scripture in several, several places talks about the quickening as when the human forms, but it's not a human yet. In the scripture, it's more likely you get to the human is ensouled when he takes his first breath. Um, and so you could argue that it's not a human until that point. Um, everybody can draw their own lines. I like brains. Sure. <laughs> and so Sagan said, as soon as you see, you see human-like brain and wave patterns, you got a human. <laughs> That's interesting. I, that's interesting. I, uh, I, I, I land probably somewhere else and I approach it probably similarly. Like I am trying to reach a similar sort of like understanding. Uh, first, I understand the dilemma similarly that we do have two different sides speaking about this in, in completely different languages. Mm -hmm. So that's a problem. Because it's really going to be hard if, if what each side wants is just like the most extreme level of control about what this, what the result should be, about what we're going to do about this issue. Uh, then that's not a lot of room for negotiation. If it's just like we can, it has to be the case. If on one side it is, it is the argument that it has to be the case that we can terminate pregnancy. As 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 far as that means, if that means like in the in the labor process, you know, then that would be pretty extreme. Same as I think an approach that said no, no termination under any circumstances. I don't care if your life is at stake. I don't care if the kid's life is at stake. That would be extreme as well. So I'm I'm talking about this, trying to imagine. You know what, what a real honest balance is and my whole thing is I think what I what I always come back to is is my the the place at which I understand what we're doing what I find uncomfortable is that I don't like the scientific terminology that that removes the humanity from it personally um, I think I think brain or heart or electro whatever shocker uh, signal or whatever might all be 
relevant to the issue. But I, ultimately, I think what we're doing is killing humans. And the question in my mind is, is this one of those occasions where we think it's okay to kill humans? I'll, I, I want to establish the question first because I feel like we, don't, we, we can't even do that because of the different languages we're speaking. Because on one side, we're talking about killing humans. On the other side, we're talking about terminating fetuses. And that's, I understand that to some degree. I understand where that comes from if it's true that there's such a difference between a fetus and a human, but I don't, I don't think there is. I think that we actually are killing humans and that we're, we're like trying to, and I think the appropriate question is, do we think it's okay to kill humans or not? Well, first thing I want to, I want to call your attention to is that we as a nation need to talk to each other like you and I are talking to each other. Um, that's what we need the most. Agreed. My, my second observation, when Hillary Clinton got up, when she was running for president and said abortion ought to be legal, safe, and rare, mm -hmm. if the pro-life movement had said, all right, let's talk about rare, <laughs> <laughs> we'd have saved a ton of babies. Yeah. Um, and, uh, my third observation, um, I, what I'm, what I'm trying to build is, um, we need to make carrying these babies to term far more possible than it is to even, uh, it needs to seem possible as well as be possible. Hmm. Um, and a lot of abortions happen because the mothers have hit the wall. Um, she got pregnant right after the ba her previous baby was born, which happens, and she's exhausted trying to get this baby um, up to speed so she can hope to give some attention to the next one. Um, there are far too many women who don't have any resources. Um, there's uh, going through a pregnancy in, say, Texas, where the uh, pregnancy mortality rate is, is very high. Yeah, it's small numbers, but they're huge if you're... Uh, uh, the, the numbers are way too high, higher than other countries and higher than some places that don't have nearly the resources we have. Mm. <coughs> and it's largely because they don't have any medical care. Um, and so we have to deal with the medical care and do something one way or the other to make sure that pregnant women, especially if you're going to prevent them from getting um, abortions, have access to medical care. It's a price you have to pay. There's no way around it. Um, and other kinds of support. If you're, a, if you're an overwhelmed mother and you're pregnant and you know that you can get in touch with somebody who can come over and help you, that could, make, that could be transformative. Uh, so we have to do that. Um, 
the statistics are overwhelming when uh, when an area is, an area that's run by Democrats or when a when a a conservative state uh, gets a a, a, a liberal um, administration for a while, the abortions go down. They go down because of uh, of uh, high quality sex education, and they go down because uh, they because they uh, they give access to condoms and remove some of the recriminations, and they don't teach abstinence only. While teaching abstinence is important, uh, it's very important to tell young people that they can choose not to have sex. Mm. Um, but that should be coupled with what to do. I read an article recently about teenagers in several red states who have taken the job on <coughs> to teach each other um, sex education because they can't get it in the schools. And they've, uh, they've done a very adult job of putting together all the resources they could find so that they have books and pamphlets to pass out and contact numbers for people to talk to and all of that that's part of the um, part of the thing though it's a conservative trope that uh, that teaching kids about sex will make them more curious in Denmark they teach they teach a very thorough sex education course to every kid that's growing up and their their onset of sexuality is much later in life um, they're willing to wait. They understand. And so we've got to go to that. But in the end, let's have an honest discussion on how to reduce the, the demand for abortions. Yeah. Because the, I have a strong feeling. It's more than a strong feeling. I'm convinced. The current climate, the... Uh, They put state by state uh, abortion laws. Some of them are not as restrictive as others, but they put the abortion laws in, and I'm convinced they're completely um, unenforceable because more people um, approve of access to abortion than do feel like the uh, abortion on uh, the, that the abortions should be banned as much as is practically possible. And so we saw this with prohibition when they banned alcohol. Um, if a really large number of Amer Americans are motivated to break the law, they will. And so they'll start driving out of state until they pass the law that you can't drive out of state, which, again, which is against the Constitution. You're, you're, um, as an American citizen, you're free to travel. Um, They'll, they'll do something to restrict access to the, uh, the abortion pills. Um, and if they don't find a way around that, then, the, then organized crime will provide them. Um, look at the 
look at the war on drugs and see how easy it is to be successful. If people want to do something, they will find a way. <coughs> right. Well, we could stay on this for a minute. I want to, I want to ask you about... Wherever you want to go, I'm good. Okay. I'll, I, can, I can reserve that, I think, <laughs> for the next question. But so... So I relate, I think, to a perspective that's like, you know, interested in how we make life better in a, in a way that limits the need for uncomfortable. Because it sounds like that's what we're talking about on a more like a, a, an abstracted level is like, can we imagine creating a life that produces fewer of these problems? Like like if abortion is a problem, then can we imagine a You've life that abortion produces is a problem, and it's fair to say that. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, but can we imagine one where we solve the problem, like we make a lifestyle secure enough that the the problem that I put forward, which is to confront the possibility that we're let, let me phrase it this way: if I'm right that we're killing people. <laughs> If it's true that we're killing people, and if it's true that given the circumstances that are unfortunate about life, that sometimes make that uh, really, really understandable that somebody would choose that path, even though it might not be whatever the most most uh, obvious one for somebody to choose when they're pregnant or something like that's not an easy choice for most people to make is just like to say, fuck it, I'll just terminate uh, my pregnancy. But. Say we make a life, say we create a lifestyle that like really reduces that a lot, but it still happens. Mm-hmm. We still have the same problem. It still have the question of, do we, is this a moral issue, I guess, the issue of abortion or whatever. Uh, and that seems to be like what the Christians are saying is like, doesn't matter the circumstances that necessarily bring it about. And when I'm saying I'm using a really good friend of mine as like a, a vessel to access these arguments because these aren't necessarily mine, but a friend of mine who like talks to me about this stuff, she's just adamant like the circumstances do not change the fact that an innocent life is being terminated that didn't do anything, didn't kill anybody, didn't do anything. So even if we imagine that society that doesn't that produces a great lifestyle and all the all the proactive stuff to try to make it rare what do we do with the fact that that there's a moral question about the act in itself well there's a couple of ways let's take the word moral out of the out of context for a minute okay and think um you can decide whether things are right or wrong uh, using whatever your conscience gives you, but you can decide the right and wrong of a thing. But doesn't morality expect more of you than that? And you're doing that. You're 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 like, maybe we should not go pell mell for um, free and open abortions everywhere in the country to anybody that wants one. Okay. Um, and so you're wanting to restrict abortions, right? That's the ultimate goal. That would be the ultimate goal of the 
that's what I'm playing with. Yes. Of course. Okay. Like that's not necessarily the position that I'm holding as a real person, but that's the, that's the angle we're talking but about. But this is what yeah. we've been, this is what you brought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This was what you put on the table. Yeah. And, uh, and so there are some people who believe that there's nothing wrong with, um, getting an abortion under whichever parameters you want to define it by they've all got there's more than one way to think about when you should put a a stop to any abortions um or which abortions are permissible and for what reasons Mm -hmm. but in the end you've got a a clash of two ways of looking at the world that are as i said way earlier they're not resolvable yeah i mean they're just not (laughs) and so in the end, the, it looks to me like the moral, ethical thing to do is stop as much killing as you can. And so the ethical thing to do is back to what I just said. Let's see how, see how many abortions we can stop. By um, making it rare. And the, the upside of that is you make progress, you even make progress a little earlier on, and then when you get down to the last, the end of the, to the, when you've exhausted trying to make abortion rare, you have a smaller problem to tackle. Fair, yeah. Um, and so if stopping abortion is your goal and the governor or the government, um, passed a law permitting, uh, protecting abortion that lasted 50 years, and a whole bunch of the society believes that we should go back to doing that. Um, and you want to save babies? Um, and if you believe, as I do, that as long as people really want abortions, the, the laws that make uh, restrictions um, functional are not enforceable if you believe those things why don't we go why don't we shoot for rare and then see where we can get you don't have to stop trying to stop all abortions to to look for rare but you're going to have to sit down at the the table with some people you don't like very much yeah Um, (laughs) and uh, and negotiate which is really dirty if you're talking morality. Negotiating about morality is dirty business. <laughs> it really is. Yeah, you're not wrong. <laughs> but that nego- I mean that those discussions that is what would be necessary if we actually expect for these two parties to be somewhat heard and somewhat like uh, their position somewhat you know respected in some way. Yeah, because it it is a little bit too. Uh, total i guess on on each side if that's i mean what people was what people were worried about is what it started to feel like now i don't know i didn't i I didn't read everything that every state started to institute or play with or whatever all the little changes. oh there's so much noise you can't get there yeah exactly (laughs) let me ask you this man so you you're anyway i'll just jump into the question I have been sitting around this house for about 
I don't know, five years fucking with my understanding of the identities of liberal and conservative, what they're for, what they are, how they exist, why, like why we have them and whether, and, and this is my ultimate question. I've been trying to figure out what it means to live without an ideology, to not be a liberal and to not be a conservative and to be this other thing, this thing that I don't know how to describe exactly what I understand it as, but, um, most people I know, they, f they feel generally more comfortable with either like a liberal identity or a conservative one. That's the problem I've been playing with. I give that to you. You can say whatever you want in response. <laughs> That's an interesting question. Um, okay. Let's start here. Conservatives in America used to have a very, very different ideology than they have now. Um, conservatives, when we did the, uh, the voting rights laws and other uh, uh, equal rights laws in the 1960s, um, the Democratic Party put it on the floor but it took some really remarkable men on the Republican side to negotiate the rest of the, road, uh, the, the votes to bring it home. The Republicans saved that bill. Um, and they were conservatives. Uh, I don't, you, it's his, uh, you can have your issues with the Republicans now, but that's something you should remember as you're, as you're working through this, they morph. Um, they've called themselves conservatives straight along, but their, their philosophy now, at least in terms of their actions, is very different than when I was young. Mm. Um, and one of the things that happened I don't know if you remember well when George Bush Sr. was running for president. No. Okay. One of his political things that he inserted into his speeches, he called it the L word to talk about liberals. Mm. And, uh, and he referred to it as a dirty thing. Um, and they started picking up some Early then, then even through his son's presidency, they had never really, in my view, gone off the rails. But liberals became more and more uh, associated with um, with evil than, as far as conservatives were concerned, um, than they had been in the past, and uh, Democrats. The Democratic Party through the 50s was where you got the Ku Klux Klan. And it was where you got um, a lot of the subversive white supremacy, voter, um, uh, voter suppression, everything else. That was a Democratic thing, not a Republican thing. And uh, somehow... As the Voting Rights Act of, what, 65, 67? 
Um, as that thing became law, somehow those Democrats, because the Democrats had brought up that bill, they were so pissed that they abandoned the party and went to the Republican Party, and they almost just completely switched sides. Um, and so you had Strom Thurmond, the, re the segregationist in South Carolina, and Jesse Helms in North Carolina fighting to do as little damage as possible, trying to let the black people, people become, um, become equal. Mm -hmm. uh, now, the Republican Party was still full of great men of good minds and uh, and you know the, the those people that voted the Civil Rights Act into place were still there, but things were changing. Let me jump in and ask okay. a question. Things were changing. So maybe you can help me break this down because I don't know. Tell me if you know about this. I hope you know. I hope you might. When I hear democratic, when I hear democrat. I hear democracy in there. When I hear Republican, I hear Republican there. And I know what those words mean. The question might be, what does membership to those parties have to do with those systems of organization or whatever? What does being a Republican have to do with the, term, the word republic? And then what, I, like to me, well, I mean, like now it seems that conservatives are Republicans and liberals are Democrats. And like those, it's very just like, that's how it works out. So like what, I know what that looks like now, but like, we're, like whatever it means to be in the Republican Party, did that not, was that not at war with a liberal identity like it is now? Okay. Um, when... The Republican Party started using the word conservative. It was based on conserving. Mm. Um, their argument was we were we inherited a great nation, and we should conserve what made it great. And for the most part, they were interested in doing that. But politics is a funny animal, um, and so. A lot of times, politics is playing a game with you back my bill and I'll back yours that have nothing to do with philosophy. Um, but the, the, the liberals um, thought we should use our intellect to take advantage of our ability to make the changes in the way the... Uh, uh, the way the country works based on what we learn over time as we work our way through history to now. Um, and so they were, as science became a, 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 a practice with serious teeth in it, they were more interested in using what the scientists learned and, uh, and all of that. And they were very willing to change the way we had done, uh, the way we had uh, had governed ourselves, um, if they thought they had a better idea, well, 
that should leave us in a great place because you get people who gung-ho want to do stuff being reminded to that there's, we did these other things for good reason. Um, and don't throw them away thoughtlessly, you know. And so the two parties together was what made it great. Hmm. Um, and uh, I don't know how it still kind of makes sense to call the Democrats liberals and the Republicans conservatives, but it makes a lot less sense than it used to. Hmm. Uh, but the Democrats are still on the money for uh, trying to help the bottom end of the society lead good lives. This is a liberalism that comes, goes back to Franklin Roosevelt, not to the beginning of time. But uh, when Franklin Roosevelt put out the New Deal and gave us uh, um, Social Security and Medicare, and well, we didn't have Medicare yet, uh, but had done, yeah, we did have a little bit of Medicare. It wasn't nearly as much as it is now. But uh, he put those in in a 40-hour work week and helped bolster up the formation of unions. And that he was putting the common man in a position to have a, a good fighting chance. Um, and during that time, the Republicans were screaming and hollering about uh, socialism like that necessarily has to be a dirty word um, and trying to stop him from doing that because it was a radical departure from the way we had been governing up to then. They were trying to preserve the Union as it had been um, governed since the uh, Declaration was signed. There is nothing... Uh, there's nothing inherently wrong with that philosophy as it's been stated so far. Um, but one of the things the conservatives of that time were supporting was you take the smartest, most accomplished people in the country and you give them tremendous responsibility to help run it. So they were for the very rich. Um, the very rich were a different class of men back then than they are now, but they, um, that was the whole idea. Um, that same conservatism applied to the plantation owners in the South that had slaves. Um, it's not always good, <laughs> but uh, um, they, uh, they, they thought that that was the best way to, to go forward. And, um, and Roosevelt felt like the guys that sweat for their, for their living, they are also great sources of how the country ought to be run. And so he was trying to bolster them up. And so labor unions made an amazing difference in the lives of working men. Mm -hmm. uh, and and um, minimum wage, which uh, Roosevelt described as enough money to live a decent life, put a roof over your head and feed your kids properly. Not 
And so minimum wage was never about making sure that teenagers could have jobs. It was much more than that. Um, and when he put, um, when Roosevelt put the New Deal into place and then Eisenhower came behind him, the conservative Mr. Eisenhower supported the New Deal and kept it going. And through the 50s and on up through most of the 60s, we had the most, the fastest growing, most potent middle class any country had ever seen. Because wealth doesn't trickle, trickle, trickle down, it trickles up. So you, if you make sure that these people down here have spending money, they will spend it. They will not sequester it away. Mm. And so the money circulates in the in the uh, in the economy, and people buy stuff a decent percentage of that from local people. And <coughs> when you buy a McDonald's hamburger, some of that money goes to the employees of McDonald's, and so they spend it. And the money circulates a little while, and in the end. The rich people have to work for their dollars if they're going to get it out of that that society. They have to do something useful with it. But now they're just they've worked the uh, worked the the situation so that uh, they have uh, very rich people pay far less money percentage wise in taxes, and um, they have loopholes, and they. Uh, get away with a lot of not being helpful to our economy. Um, they do a lot of great stuff too, but uh, the Democrats want to balance that out again. I've gone way off the. I don't know. I, did I even come close to answering your uh, question? We definitely dealt with things around the question. Yeah, we, there's just a lot there, so we'll unpack some more of it. So, um, <laughs> yeah. Um, Oh shoot! I had well, yeah. There's there's tons to play with. Um, one one the one thing I was gonna men- mention. So I think what what I experience a lot of the time. Originally, my question was about sort of the what it means to be liberal, what it means to be conservative, and I think that's what you were kind of getting to was going through the history of what led to these identities and why we have them and what they have been over the la- the course of maybe like the last 50 or 75 years, something like that. So, so then some of that is about a little bit of a, some of that consists of a little bit of a, maybe a, a value differentiation between what at different points, whether it was like a, a, be- a better idea to approach things with a conservative or with a liberal sort of agenda in mind. And at what point they were trying to sort of tackle society to create a certain outcome. Uh, And some of that story sounds like, you know, in these occasions, these were liberal decisions that were made that had positive outcomes. But then, of course, as you already mentioned just now, like there's there's positive outcomes due to conservatives, due to Republicans and shit that exist as well, like without. You know, like like the New Deal and like the like unemployment uh, uh, minimum wage and shit like that. These are examples of 
things that were put in place to not let labor be the only thing a person ever did, you know, or, or like to not be, to not have to work a 24 hour day in order to still not make enough money to live and shit like that. Uh, but of course, like it's worth mentioning that having a boss, having an employer is like part of that too. Like it's important to have a job. It's important to be a part of the economy. And that is not exclusively a conservative or Republican role to play, to be an employer, but you know, that's something that I think, at least what I hear from your comp, your average, like modern day liberal, they talk about entitlements for employers, uh, or sorry, they talk about entitlements for the employed a lot. Uh, and that is the, that's the other side of the, that's the economic side of what we're talking about with abortion. Like that's, that's the language that they speak is a language of, uh, what are employees entitled to? And then a language that's on the other side of that is like, how free can employers be, you know, and, and that is like a Republican identity and a liberal identity. Uh, and my approach in that instance as well with, with, with abortion, with voting, with everything is I see these identities. I see the languages they speak. I want to understand both languages and see what there is that's good in both languages and also see what is bad about both languages. And I want to kind of reserve judgment and always be playing for the team that I think needs to be played for, which brings me back to the original question of like, what, like, why is it, is it a good idea to be liberal? Is it a good idea to be conservative? If we stand the, the, if we run the risk of being like uh, so partisan that we are blind to say the good that Republicans do, or we're blind to the good that Democrats do. It would it be better to like try to stay neutral as far as identities <laughs> go, or is it is it is that inevitable? Do you think the um, the Republican and Democratic parties? are both divided by the same religion, mm. which is an interesting thing to think about. Um, right now, mainline religions, the old, we did it this way all these years, I don't see a reason to change now. Those are the liberal religions. Mm. Um, and the Republicans have picked up a more... <laughs> uh, the more reactionary religions. I, I hate to say that, but that's the, what it is. But in the end... How do you mean? Well, um, evangelical is a huge word that goes all over everywhere, and not all evangelicals are the same as the um, evangelical uh, congregations that just went uh, all in for Trump, uh -huh. for instance. But they, they're practitioners of the same religion that uh, mainline Episcopalians are, are, are practicing, but the two sides couldn't agree less. Right. Um, and so um, and I think both sides are trying to argue from a position of morality, but they understand morality very differently. Mm -hmm. uh, 
I'm going to say a couple of things. First is, um, because the words liberal and conservative no longer mean what they traditionally meant, we really don't know what the definition of either one of them is. Interesting, um, yeah. And, uh, and so we basically throw those words out as shorthand because it gets rid of a lot. It doesn't, it's not accurate, but it gets rid of a lot of, um, a lot of the um, confusion when you're trying to talk to somebody. Mm. Um, but that having been said, so the Democrats started trying to, uh, trying to use the term progressive, but progressive also has a meaning. And uh, a lot of the left isn't, a lot of liberalism isn't all that progressive. Um, and the progressives are really all in for making sure everybody's got a, a minimum lifestyle. And they're willing to look at whatever comes along. But a lot of, a lot of uh, those that would describe themselves as liberals or Democrats they're really uncomfortable with going that far out of uh, out of our historical norms. Yeah, and so they don't all agree on anything. Uh, but the progressives can put forth new ideas that the that the moderates in the Democratic Party can live with, and then you know, but also they put forth a lot of stuff that they just can't. Uh, Joe Manchin is a is a Democrat. Uh, he. He's been a Democrat for a long time, but he's been a real bone of contention for the party lately. Um, do you know what I'm talking about? I, I have heard his name, and I've heard, I remember listening to some stories. The Senate, about the what Senate was going is fifty-fifty. The vice president votes when the t- when a tied Senate um, votes. If all the Republicans vote one way and all the Democrats vote the other, it's a tie until the vice president. Uh, cast a vote mm. but Joe Manchin has fought against a lot of the bills the Democrats have tried to put through and so he's become a uh, a bit of a boogeyman for the Democrats but he's a Democrat yeah. he is really a Democrat but he's very moderate he does he's very cautious with the money I'm not a huge fan of Joe Manchin but I see who he is and he's not my enemy <laughs> I mean, man, I you know, part of the reason that this all happened was prior to when I say this all happened, I mean this experiment that I've been doing with uh, ideology. Uh, it's because this these shifts that the liberals have kind of experimented with, and basically progressivism. I can't stand progressivism. I can't stand the romancing of. Uh, I I personally can't stand the romancing of like socialism and and stuff like that. Um, and I, I think people are a little unhinged on the left side of the spectrum, which is not what I was used to. Like when I, when I first kind of stopped identifying with conservatives, I found liberalism really alluring because it all seemed really sensible. But, uh, in this current climate, uh, climate, I, 
find it harder and harder to relate to the most vocal, like wild side of the progressive stuff. And so I can't like when you give me that description of Joe Manchin, I'm like, oh, that reminds me of myself a little bit because I, I can't fuck with this either, really. Well, um, it's another. I don't want to talk about Joe Manchin right now. I want to talk about socialism. Sure. Um, I'm. Can I turn the tables on you and ask you why you're so concerned about socialism? Well, what is socialism? Part of it for me. Well, we could start either place. So um, take your pick. Part of it for me, uh, my relationship with socialism that will hopefully get to the answer of what it is, or at least how I define it. Part of it does come with bias because my grandmother's from Cuba, and so she is. She's always been kind of warning me about uh, communism and like what it what it is and what it entails and what her experience under communism was like. And I've taken that pretty seriously. I've, I, I, when she, I that used to be kind of a family joke, like oh, everything is just socialism and communism and stuff. But more and more, it seemed it, it more and more over the last couple of years, I've seen that actually people are running with this and like it it's not a joke like people are identifying with it and taking it on as an identity so i'm like well that's fascinating and if that's true then i'm gonna distance myself from it really hardcore a couple years back i don't think i was scared of that term i I think i thought socialism was like an interesting idea in the same way i think a lot of people do now i think a lot of people think of it as just um uh the attitude that those who have less, we we could we could come up with a society that that considers those who have less and tries to compensate for that through social programs. I think that's what most people think that they're signing up for. What I actually think socialism is is an economic system that sort of uh, puts sort of bare like according to based on Marx, uh, best we know of supposed to be an economic system that puts that that deals with the problem that people who own capital uh benefit more from owning their capital than they do from like working for somebody else who owns capital and so it deals with the problem that employees make less than people who own businesses is what it's supposed to do apparently and also compensate for also do what what the new deal did like compensate create a lifestyle that didn't make labor all that somebody was worth because for a long time that was all somebody was worth. <laughs> um, so I think Marx observed some things about society that are, it makes sense for us to resent, but some of those things are not escapable. You know, like the, I'm not sure that a life where you don't have to, I'm not sure that we don't want to to have a laborious life. I'm not there. I I don't want to get too like deeply philosophical about my thing here, but I'm not sure that Marx's sort of like economic answer to certain problems that he observed are a great idea. Uh, And I'm not sure that some of I'm not sure that all those problems can be dealt with from an economic lens. So anyway, uh, socialism was that socialism is not a re- like it, socialism uh, as far as i'm concerned is just like 
some kind of middle ground between somebody who has a communist identity and somebody who just wants to be nice. It's just like a, it's just kind of this this means to an end, and and that end, I believe, uh, I believe is a state controlled economy that totally fucks up everything. I think communism is fucked. I want to start with this. Did He's, I make sense to you, yes, by the way? Yes, you did. Okay. You, um, you mentioned Castro. I'm going to throw out Mao Zedong and Stalin. Okay. And maybe Hugo Chavez and uh, you name them. You know who I'm talking about, what kind of people. Mm-hmm. Dictatorships. That's what they were. Yeah. Um, uh, I think Castro probably intended to create a socialist society, but it didn't take him long to just take over and become a dictator. And then Marx got thrown out of the window. Everything got thrown out of the window. And uh, he tried to logic his way through how to build his island's economy. And he wasn't particularly good at it, but he had the power in the military. Yeah. And uh, who knows how many people Stalin had to kill to to put his uh to take control of his country and he wasn't using economic principles he was using brute force mm-hmm. um Mao Zedong did a better job and China he, China got off to a a better start for becoming more socialist and it was transformative for the for the lower classes, but it just wasn't, uh, well, for whatever reason, it wasn't sustained. But these are dictatorships. They're not socialism. Um, and uh, socialism and democracy are not exclusive. You can have both. Um, a democracy can have programs that make people's lives better. There's a there's a uh, good intentions uh, a good intentions motivation for a lot of people to forget that we're limited in what we can do, but we can do a lot. And so um, when the when the New Deal got put in place um, and Eisenhower took the presidency, had a war to pay for, the base rate for taxation for the very wealthy was 93%. Mm-hmm. They made money. They made lots of money. Um, uh, it wasn't until Kennedy took office that he, he gave him a break on taxes and took it down to 70%. Um, and they still made money. Yeah. Um, the reason was because the money started circulating in the economy. People can buy stuff. Um, the, that analogy doesn't, uh, perfectly hold up now because we were still an industrial society back then. And so if you wanted to make more money, you made another factory you know, and which provided tons of jobs. Um, and 
So that's how the middle class got so big. It would be hard to replicate that now, but there it remains that the U.S.'s economy would benefit from more pressure to make uh, to make small business work. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you can afford to pay a little extra to buy your neighbor's homemade belt, uh, enough people will do that that it'll, it'll work. Um, and if he gets popular because he makes really good belts, he hires a couple of people, he makes more good belts. Maybe it becomes a small factory for making really good belts, but it, it, uh, it expands the income rate um, for everybody. And that is how you get to a healthy economy. And now, uh, Elon Musk doesn't sell very many, uh, doesn't sell enough uh, Teslas to make that much of a dent in the, uh, in the auto market. Uh, shoot, he can't get the materials to do it. Uh, there's, there's issues with supply lines and stuff. And... We can't mine enough uh, lithium to get the batteries all done. And, you know, we, we're having, uh, here we are with uh, China's got what they're calling the worst drought and um, heat wave the world has ever seen. Um, it covers a huge swath of area. The temperatures have been running average 114 degrees and no rain. And mm-hmm. it's it's uh, a major part of it is over one of their best agricultural zones. Mm. Um, and at the same time, we're having a, a lesser drought in the southwest. And so the mining in, in China, China's locking down and not being able to produce enough power, no water, no power, um, you know, all of that. And uh, all of that, China has it because it's the nature of their entire economy. But in the United States, um, we should have had for a long time a bunch of little companies that make chips, you know, and instead what we get is this company learns how to make chips efficiently and so somebody that has a use for the chips just buys the company and now they're part of some big conglomerate instead of growing the chip industry in the united states organically like it should be what is it five people produce 80 percent of the food that we eat or five companies Mm. Monsanto and Bayer and, you know, um, boy, are we in for a reckoning over that. Yeah. Um, And, uh, you know, it's like end game, call it capitalism, call it socialism, whichever one you want. But not controlling the economy has been a very bad mistake. Well, so that's, so there's there's obviously a lot to work with there. So 
it sounds like what you're describing to me is these ma- these really big global issues that deal with global economies and how there's a, there on the other side of that, like on the human level day to day, that we have this option to uh, sort of support individuals within the economy at a greater expense or whatever, but support individuals uh, rather than like these. Are, are you talking about like ma- massive corporations? Like, is that what you're talking about as a part of what, like capitalism and the opposite of socialism or something? Um, okay. So, um, Amazon has enormous control over the, um, the sale, sales of goods now. Mm-hmm. Walmart is the nation's greatest employer. It's the world's greatest employer. If Walmart doesn't pay their people much, then nobody pays people much because, <laughs> you know, uh, and Walmart makes an enormous amount of money, and they finally come around to starting to bring the wages up to 15 bucks an hour, but it's years late to do that because of... Uh, Inflation didn't stop, and so when everybody was screaming for 15 bucks, that's not enough anymore. Um, we're talking about um, the minimum wage, according to Franklin Roosevelt, was enough to put the roof over your head and the uh, uh, feed your kids. I, I think he said um, two adults and two kids was his idea of a family. Um, and so... If you worked for minimum wage um, at a shoe store at a mall, um, you should come out. If you work for 40 hours, you should be able to have a modest place to live and a couple of bedrooms and um, to eat a healthy, round di- uh, full diet. Right. You know, you don't get anything fancy for that. Nobody ever promised you minimum wage would get you to a fancy restaurant or whatever, but you could survive. Mm-hmm. And you could raise your kids, and they'd grow up healthy because they ate well. And, uh, and um, Walmart's made great slot strides, but they're still short. Um, and if Walmart doesn't pay people, who is? Same thing with Amazon. Well, we just got what we wanted unionization they're starting to unionize the um the amazon jobs um it'll take a few years but after a while they're going to demand to make a decent living especially amazon they work people like robots so Um, that's enough that's just a small observation that i made that i'll throw in is like when you were talking about mal you seem to feel as though his approach to socialism was somehow better than maybe other examples he started out better started out i mean i i guess you would also you would also acknowledge that mal like murdered tons of people um mal put in a lot of programs in the early uh, years of his his reign in china Mm -hmm. that really did make huge strides in giving his people a good li- a better living than they'd ever had. Right. That wasn't hard. They had 
dismal conditions in China, but he really did do that. Yeah. And then the machinery of government, uh, with Mao's blessing, the machinery of government started in on uh, um, making China strong and the corruption that goes with that just sort of ruined it all. So now um, we're seeing we're seeing the uh, uh, is it a prime minister or, or president Xi in China? It's becoming more and more progr- uh, more and more uh, oppressive there. And their biggest city, Shanghai. Uh, the people in Shanghai, the average um, income is more like twenty-five thousand dollars than fifty thousand um, dollars. Half what we make here in North in, in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not growing the economy for the little people, which is stifling his country, which is having a lot of financial trouble now. So there, there might be little things peppered in there about China that maybe you and I see differently that, that might not be all You're that important. You're welcome to disagree with yeah. me. <laughs> it might not be. No, I know, but it might not be that important to even figure out. You do not need out. to apologize for disagreeing with me. I'm not. I'm not. But, well, I, I mean, don't get mad. <laughs> what came to mind was we're talking about workers, and I just, I, you know, Mao had an interesting approach to equalization yeah, and did. like made people dress the same and made people, yeah, you know, yeah, like he did that. All, all that weird shit, you know? Um, so when you were talking about the Amazon people, I was just kind of thinking, well, clear. Okay. Amazon's a great example of tons of horror stories where under sort of, uh, no holds barred capitalism, you know? Yeah. People can be treated like fucking cattle and just whatever. But I, I think Mal might be one of those examples just one of those examples where uh, <coughs> socialism didn't necessarily free people from that problem altogether, you know. So I guess the question might be: clearly, you have the value in there that you care about the workers, and I do too, or whatever. But is is your take that like socialism is, as far as you can tell, the most superior answer to some of the problems that like the lower and middle class face? I think that um, the best economy you can create uses the best ideas of all the systems. Yeah. Um, And I want it to be, if you could get an economy that puts its um, low-rung citizens on some kind of reasonable financial footing and if you provide the education and a little hand up you start having to do less of that um, because they can make their own way in the world and that's your goal is to is not to just take on all the poor people and give them free money I'll tell you there's a good example so um, last presidential election there was a guy in the uh on the democratic side who was pro- proposing um a guaranteed income to americans mm-hmm. he wanted to get everybody give everybody a thousand dollars a month okay um that is an idea that 
I threw out the window almost immediately. But I started looking up some stuff. And it turned out that um, I think it was Alberta. They picked a, a medium-sized town in Alberta to try it out. It was a, a town that wasn't in terrible shape, but there was more unemployment than was average in Canada. And they started giving everybody, I think it was $2,000 a month. Um, and they did that. First year, it didn't make much of a change except uh, everybody got better food and the restaurant was picked up. Mm -hmm. But by the end of the second year, an overwhelming percentage of them had gone out and gotten jobs. And uh, they had uh, started on the road to financial independence from the, uh, at, at eventually, the way that that worked, if you went out and got a job, it didn't shut down your government contribution, but after a certain point, the government contribution started to go down, but not as fast as your wages went up. And so if you got a job, you made more money until um, there wasn't any more to be made. Mm. Um, it worked, and it worked really well, and it's been tried a couple of other times. Um, I have that one to offer you. I have uh, several cities in the United States have tried this. Um, you build a building with little units that are a living room with a kitchenette area and a shower. And it's for homeless people. And you don't, have, you don't charge anything for them to live there. Um, it, it, getting a job does not immediately get you kicked out. They provide you with a suit or two for going to interviews. And it takes a little while for them to get cleaned up and start feeling like human beings after they've been living on the street. But if you walk outside in a decent set of clothes, um, you get treated differently by everybody. And it works just dandy. It is a cheaper way to deal with homeless people in your town than trying to keep them off the streets. Give them a place to go. Um, these are very modest places, and they don't, um, they don't humiliate them. They don't drug test them, but they make sure that they have um, access to counseling. And uh, there's some level of being uh, – there, there is some enforcement of drug laws and too much alcohol, but it's, it's not intrusive uh, because we're trying to give them their dignity back. Mm -hmm. It's just a thought, but it works, and it's socialism. <laughs> so what is your definition of socialism? Um, you put the workers more in charge of the way factories are run. Um, actually, uh, the New Deal was socialist. I'll give them that. It was exactly socialist. It was a, a socialist program in a capitalist economic system. Um, nothing wrong with calling it socialist, 
but it wasn't anything like they've ever had in the Soviet Union or in Mao's China or Hugo Chavez's uh, Venezuela, I guess it was. Is that right? I think yeah. so. Um, Hugo Chavez had it knocked. He had um, a huge amount of oil. Um, they could bring in money that didn't cost his populace anything. Then they could visit upon it every kind of, of uh, corruption you can think of and still give them a little bit pocket money, you know? It was pretty easy for him to be Hugo Chavez, but uh, that's not always so easy. Shoot, the um, Alaska, they give everybody uh, an income off the oil, um, the oil reserves that are uh, being pumped out of Alaska. Um, everybody gets a nice check every month. That's socialism. But it's socialism within a, a capitalist overlay, um, and it's the smart thing to do. Um, but I think you start try to make pure capitalism out of what we've got. Um, it isn't really pure capitalism or call it endgame capitalism if you want. Uh, but it's all decked out to most of the money ends up not being competed for in our system. Hmm. It's an oligarchy, if you want to call it that. Um, very rich people hold all the money. And you don't know who they are. You know Elon Musk, but most of them you don't know who they are at all. Yeah, uh, And they're military contractors and whatever else. And that started when they were building the railroads. You know, those guys got incredibly wealthy on government money. Okay, so the reimagining of the hierarchy, I think, is what I'm most familiar with from social, like people who I seem to identify with socialism. And yeah, the old, the old Marx thing was like, factory workers seizing the means of production but maybe a question is like to what to what end does that go are we specifically talking about factories or are we talking about like all businesses like are we talking about bars are we talking about movie theaters you know like do we want are we are we proposing are we talking about the hypothetical a hypothetical society where if somebody opens a bar then their employees should be like morally should be in charge of it I wouldn't think so. And I think that we could um we could lay down the the parameters as grown-ups before we start and we can set benchmarks for what we expect to see so that if we don't see it we can make corrections. And uh we can't do that right now. We can't even talk to each other. Yeah. But um the and workers control the means of production doesn't mean that they take over the factories exactly um, but uh, it does mean that they have they get to figure out how all this gets done or gets get their piece of that 
um, which is smart because they know how to do it, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> uh, and uh, I don't know. I you know I I guess I mostly think of of socialism and communism. Communism works great in small numbers with a small population. Doesn't work very well after that. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as I can tell, communism has never been tried on a large scale. No country has ever been communist. Not I, by any definition you would have of communism. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Like, so people would try to offer China as an example, which obviously is a, uh, their economy is not, their economy is not communist. And that's for sure. Um, at least the, the, I mean, they basically implement the reason from what I understand, the, the, the way that China became a superpower was by implementing basically a a capitalistic economy approach to production, uh, that, that made them blow. the Yeah. Yeah. They sort of, <laughs> they sort of lied to everybody. They decided to make a capitalist. No, capital's the wrong word. They they tried to create a an overlay over their economy that was uncommunist, mm-hmm. um, and China wasn't really communist to begin with. But um, the what do you, what. Before we before we do that, what is what do you mean? I've heard that phrase before that communism hasn't been tried or whatever, and I don't. I think I I probably I might not agree, but I don't know yet. What does it mean? Like when we have a, a country like Cuba that's described as communist, what does it mean to say they're not, or that like the Soviet Union wasn't communist? In a communist system, everybody has a say in how how everything is run. Um, And so I'm arguing that you can have a communist neighborhood association. That's not really that hard. And everybody kind of comes to agreements on how stuff happens in your neighborhood. But on the grand scale, I don't really... They always end up being dictatorships. I can't think of an example to to give you to help explain it and trying to verbalize a government's kind of complicated. The reason I disagree is because I think it's one thing to describe communism as that, as like a system through which people come to agreements by all having an equal voice. But that is also exactly how you would describe what democracy is. And, you know, that's like if we try to, is this a democracy? It's how we like, make people, how we get around to understanding um, what people want and sure. make agreements about how the, yeah, okay. Yeah, there's like more stuff in there too. Like, sure. It, communism, it consists of more than that too. Otherwise, I guess we would be talking about a democracy. So, like, it consists of more shit. And like we were talking about, it consists of things like the assumption that. Uh, it's a worthwhile effort to make sure that workers ha- like are they have an equal skin in the game as people who say own capital like that's a, that's a pretty important part of it so uh i don't know i think that like on on some scale it, communism in some form has definitely been tried maybe it hasn't been like perfect democracy you know but i think like 
societies based in those principles, uh, I think, have, has been tried. In the end, how much real difference is there between the czars that ruled Russia and before and Lenin who, who ruled it after or Stalin? How much difference is there really? Yeah, not, I mean... I guess I guess to I guess some people would say Stalin under Stalin there was quite a difference. Of course, I don't know what the czars were like, uh, but like, I mean, I, I it, you know, okay, um, the shit that happened under Stalin uh, probably was pretty noticeably different. I guess. Oh, it was. Yeah. It was, but the the government structure. Yeah. Um, no. The underlying governmental structure yeah. is pretty much, you know. Um, in the end, a king is a dictator. In the end, uh, the head of the communist government is a dictator. Um, in the end, uh, we have in democracy the, debil- uh, the ability to re- place restraints on our leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, and we still have that. It still exists, and we can make our nation better. Um, but... Uh, nobody could tell Stalin what to do. Exactly. And uh, and so I don't really see any evidence of why we would want to call it, call the government of Russia any other thing than a dictatorship. Um, they've... they've uh, Putin is set up. They they started making inroads into moving out of that, but when t- Putin took over, he killed it all. And uh, and so, you the people of Russia can't vote um, Putin out of office. Right. Um, and so they have no say in how the government is run. Um, and Putin has control of all of the media, or very much most of the media. And uh, and so he can tell them whatever he wants them to hear, and they don't have anything else to believe. So here we are, and we're having a war with with uh, Ukraine, and he ha- Putin has more support in Russia than we can understand because they have no idea what's going on. Yeah, <laughs> they're Putin's losing ground with the. Uh, people figuring out how to get other information and with people coming back from the war and being able to spread the the news from living room to living room and all of that. But that's going to take an awfully long time. And uh, so there he is. Um, and so I hear the word communist and I just think, there's another guy that doesn't know what he's talking about. You know, yeah, I have I've really shifted gears on that. I am, I mean, uh, I'll, I mean, this is where we're at, and I, a friend of mine, well, like what we were talking about earlier. Do you have friends? Sort of. Oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> when I told another one of my friends about this friend, he was like, "Why are you friends with this guy?" But <laughs> I've known this guy a long time. Uh, he, he, I, I used we were real close, but. um so this is what I'm talking about, about the identity of the communist, because it's like I don't I'm trying to really emphasize this. Uh, I don't believe that these things are real. I don't believe that these philosophies are real. I think that these are like I think these identities 
are kind of like stu- like costumes we wear and things that we adopt. And again, my big project is trying to figure out if we actually need them, if we need these like identities that are based in these beliefs. And my friend comes at me talking about, like I was talking about some shit that was going on in Cuba and my friend kind of tells me that it's, that it's capitalist propaganda, which I thought was a joke, but we start talking and I realize he, he legitimately is like, communism is the way to go, man. Like it's the, it's what we have to do to find utopia and all this shit. And I'm like, are you, is this a joke or are you, you actually have subscribed to this and he's actually subscribed to it to the point where I was like, okay, let me give you a situation here. Let's say I buy this house. I live here. Let's say I have a farm and food and I have my instruments and I just have my little life. Uh, you don't, you're saying you don't, you, you, you're, you're, you're dreaming of a system where personal property isn't a thing. Would you be in favor of a system that said that I had to give up this property, like the ownership of it, uh, at the threat of force, at the threat of prison, at the threat of death? And he said, yes, that's what I would, that's what I would suppose would be the best. And I said, okay, I don't voluntarily want that. I would tell you straight out. That's not the system I want. What would you like to do? Take like ha- like implement that system by force against the will of me, despite the fact that I don't subscribe to the idea that that property can't be owned. Uh, and he said, "Yeah, yeah. Like I, we would just have to do it through force, and that's like the lifestyle we would we would impose on everyone." That's that's a a real attitude of a person my age living amongst us. I I'm not happy about that. Has he lived in Cuba? No. Okay. You're right. I never even addressed that part of communism. Um, everybody owns everything. Um, I don't understand how it could work. Uh, you can do it once again. You can do it in small groups, but people will. If you try to get everybody to be equal, some people will rise above the rest of them, and they will take over, and they'll do it every time, mm-hmm. you know. And somebody will climb the hierarchy, and eventually you won't have communism anymore. Um, it's human nature. Uh, you're there's a alpha male, and then there's you know an alpha male over a couple of well, packs, and then it just gets, um, and eventually you've got John Galt at the top of the hill. <laughs> John Galt, that's his name. I was telling somebody that I think, I think Elon Musk might be John Galt. Uh, <laughs> he was just going to vanish into a mountain one day. But, um, yeah, I mean, you were talking about dictatorships, and you were talking about, like, you know, these, these examples, these structures, they all had dictators in them. And, I, you know, that's true, and that does seem counter to communism, but I think... I think it's inevitable with structures and and the part that makes it inevitable with communism oh. I think is the bit that my friend supposed that like this kind of society could be imposed at against the will of the people against yeah. the will of the majority if you're going to go against the will of the majority you're going to have to have a dictator to do it probably yeah <laughs> yeah well i mean um here lately in the united states we've been we've been governed um uh, in many ways, against the uh, uh, against the will of the people, mm-hmm. um, 
gerrymandering is a way to govern against the will of the people. When you when you create an um, an abortion law, like we talked about earlier, when you create one of those, even though the uh, the absence of abortion law is is what the people want. You may not like that, but that's what it is. Uh, uh, actually preserving the right to an abortion is very popular. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so uh, the, we're, elect, we, we're electing people we don't choose. We're doing a lot of stuff like that. We're not honoring the promise that the Constitution gave us. Uh, we need to get back to the Constitution. It's a pretty damn good document. Uh, but I was sort of, when they say communism and socialism, those are just words. Yeah. Um, it's the same thing with uh, Republican and Democrat. They end up being just words. Um, and liberal and conservative. When you can watch a one party change the definition of the of the politics of the other party just by messaging, the other party doesn't have. It's just a word. <laughs> yeah, they are just words. That's what fucks me up, man. Because like people believe that it's their identity, and. It is, honestly, it's just, I think it's half of your identity, everybody. You know, I think I'm half liberal in a major way. What I mean by that is I have in me the potential to agree with everything a liberal philosophy would tell me. And I have the potential in me to agree with everything a conservative philosophy would tell me. And my nurturing and my experiences and my biases and all this stuff inform what I tell you I think is true, which you have no idea if I even feel as though what I say is true or, and, and a lot of time I don't either. Like, <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Who the fuck knows what we actually think. Welcome to being an American. I mean, th- that's, everybody's like that. I think that's, you're not unique. I know. I think that's humanity. It's not, yeah. you know, it's psychology. It's, it's just, it's what it means to be a person. You can only, you can only discover so much of the truth and be able to actually accurately depict it and explain it to somebody else. And so, I understand why we do these things, but like, I don't, I think that we make a mistake thinking that these words, these like symbols for philosophies are actually our real identity. And I think that we miss a lot of our, our sort of like uh, logical potential by like excluding whatever doesn't fit in that identity personally. At least that's my experience with it. I have a, I have a belief that the United States of America ought to stand down its entire nuclear arsenal, mm. every last one of them, unilaterally, without any cooperation from any other country, just stand the whole thing down. Um, if you want, I can explain you why I think that'll work. But in the end, I do honestly believe that. Yeah. No Democrat is talking about it. No Republican is talking about it. It neither fits the current liberal or conservative um, uh, mindset, and it has never been in the mindset since we created nuclear weapons to begin with. Yeah. Um, and 
I believe, I don't know, right now, I'm going to vote for Democrats. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe the Republican Party needs to be needs a spanking, and they need to come back with all without all of the lip service and try to work with us again. But I, in my past, have always routinely chosen Republicans, um, more Democrats than Republicans, but. Um, give me a guy that speaks to me intelligently and will stand up for his own ideas and I'll tolerate some ideas that aren't, that I'm not in love with because I figure I understand who he is. Yeah. Um, I'm not a, I'm nobody's pure partisan, but I think the, I think that the United States can't get moved to the next square from where it is unless we heal the the uh, impoverished class of Americans. Mm. And we're going to have to make some sacrifices to do that. Um, and we're going to have to... We're going to have to get clear of far more of our debt than we've already done because... Global warming is going to be incredibly expensive. Um, and so, I don't know. I mean, you look at the things out there and you... Uh, I, I hate that we can't just do something about global warming, but right now there's a party that has a mindset that will not uh, step on the feet of people who wish to pollute without without regulation and so um, and yes carbon dioxide is a pollutant methane is a pollutant um, as are all kinds of chemicals that are showing up now at the water's low uh, <laughs> you know mm. <laughs> so there's a lot of, I'd like to get before we think about wrapping up i want to get way more personal um you i'm a male (laughs) you're a male you're a guitar (laughs) player you have had all these experiences in life um where are you from originally i'm officially a geezer a geezer Um, i was born in washington state Uh, Uh, my dad was in the military but we moved to we moved back to atlanta i might have been too i don't remember washington state at all uh, um but my my extended family on both sides is Atlanta, um, and uh, my dad moved up here for a job. That's how I got here. I would not live anyplace else. I love this area. Really? Yeah. Um, this is a, and my life has been magical. Um, I live in my favorite house that I know about with my favorite woman that I know about. Um, <laughs> I worked hard for 40 years. My house is paid for. My cars are paid for. Um, and my 403B made more money than I ever would could have dreamed. And so I'm going to be able to afford my life going forward. So now I'm retired, and I don't have to do anything. <laughs> <laughs>
Be jealous. <laughs> so, but yeah, you get to do some things. You, yeah. uh, you, you're gardening. You have all sorts of little projects you do, right? Like, are you fucking around with instruments and shit these days? Not lately, but I'm, I'm feeling the urge to get myself back up off my ass. But I needed time, uh, and I don't regret that I just haven't been doing anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I respect that. Um, your what you just said, kind of about your life, was one of the main things I wanted to ask you about. Like, as as I had no idea we were actually going to talk about politics. That was the last thing I figured we'd talk about. But what I would like to ask you about is um, life, like living life, like. I think it's happiness. I think you strike me as somebody who, like a few people I've known in life, can sometimes, I get the impression just from a totally, I'm not in your head, I don't know what it's like to be you, but you strike me as somebody who chooses There's happiness. There's nothing in my head. <laughs> you strike me as somebody that chooses happiness and like smiling and like being pleasant to be around and shit. And not everybody does. And I wonder if that rings true for you. What you see of me, I am always like this. Mm. I uh, I got robbed of a of a decent emotional life. Um, I don't have ups and downs. I don't have. Uh, I, I I don't really have sad times. I think I had to learn intellectually to have empathy for other people mm. because I wasn't born with it. Um, but yes, I am as happy as I seem to be, and I'm that way all the time. <laughs> and you just are. Yeah. It's not. Is it, does that mean it's not a choice? Like, is that just your nature? Why would I choose otherwise? That's a good question. <laughs> um. Yeah. Um. I think I learned. From examples I had in life to my mother, you'd be driving down the road. My mother would be driving the car down the road. Somebody tried to cut her off, or somebody would cut her off. And instead of getting mad, she would sit there and say, um, he may be trying to get his wife to the hospital so they can have a baby. Mm. Or he'd make, she'd make a, an excuse for him. Um, so that she could forgive him because she had a hot temper and she just fought with it all her life. Hmm. Um, but she would always come up with a, a narrative when something bad happened to make it not be so bad. Um, and I think I learned that really well. And so, you know, if you're driving down a road and somebody cuts you off, the truth is, if you drive enough, you're going to cut somebody else off. I mean, you just, it's going to happen. Um, and, uh, yeah, somebody rips you off, and you have to forgive them. Forgiveness is a really healthy thing to do. Mm. Um, don't forgive them. It hurts you. Um, but looking at the upside of things, doesn't take as much practice as it might seem like to some people. And uh, looking at the dark side of things, I guess that's easy up front, but it's expensive to your to your whole everything. 
I mean, yeah. If you do that, you won't live as long. I mean, it's really bad to, to not get over stuff and um, not forgive people. You know, we could take this right back to where we started, I yep, think. Yeah, we like, sure could. I was just thinking that. Nihilism <laughs> is what comes to mind. You know, a lot of people, especially like younger atheists, too. I don't know if you ever used that term for yourself, but I did. And I actually don't now, though I could, because like, I'm effectively atheistic. But, you know, a lot of people, if they don't have religion and stuff to look to, that produces a totally different thing than what you're describing, like an like a fucking pointless nihilism that tells them that their happiness is pointless. But that that doesn't seem to be like what you're operating with. I am an atheist. Yeah, I'm absolutely an atheist. Um, and because there's controversy over it, it means that I believe there is no God. Um, I don't just not believe in God, but I believe he does not exist. Mm-hmm. Um, and the rest of that, because of the rest of the conversation we had, I can't prove that God doesn't exist any more than you can prove he does. Right. So my, my conclusion about the nature of the world is no better than yours. And that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter which one you have unless it can be disproven. Okay? So, um, so I can like my Christian brethren just fine. No problem. Uh, and uh, and uh, I don't know. Maybe it's helpful to, if you, if you don't, if you haven't ever taken the time to figure out what the world around you is, I highly recommend you do that. Um, the search for God, the, uh, once you get the lay of the land on how the economy works, you'll be cynical than you, you were before, probably, or maybe, but you can operate it better. <laughs> You know, <laughs> and uh, uh, spending actual energy learning stuff about how the world works is useful time, really useful time. Does that make any sense? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that ties into the que- the next question I had for you. Like you're you're sounds like you're starting to touch on things that give meaning to life or something like that. And things that even if they, even if some of them are uncomfortable or maybe make you cynical or frustrated, they're still good that can be done and utilized through all that. And I think, yeah. So the question that came to mind as you were walking through some of that is like, uh, for a lot of people, like choosing happiness isn't very, it isn't necessarily an option or like they feel like that maybe this there's this relationship they have with their own emotions. It's like they don't have the option to choose the more uplifting or optimistic or whatever side of all that. Like they're, they're subject to their bad feelings. And, uh, for some people, I think religion is really useful in figuring out how to navigate around that, but sure, for then some, go for it. Yeah, absolutely. For some people, that's not an option. Like you don't have the option to be religious because you just don't believe it. So my question was just simply, 
where you in your life have chosen to like seek pleasure and derive happiness and derive meaning and shit like that? Um, I was pretty young when I picked up a Bible and started studying it. Um, I realized that I had to, I had to, I was, was raised Catholic and I had a lot of issues with some of the church's teachings. Um, and so I decided, I mean, these were people that had studied what they knew for a very long time. Who the hell was I to, um, to argue against them unless I'd, uh, unless I'd armed myself with enough to uh, know that. So I've probably read the whole damn thing three times and, uh, and spent some real time in the Gospels trying to reconcile what was there. Mm. Um, came to terms with it. I, I, it's a good book. It's, uh, it's very rich in good philosophy. Um, and if you could lean on that book for a while, um, even if you ultimately don't end up uh, uh, taking the, the train to heaven, um, you will have been enriched by that. Mm. And so um, you want to know that, and you want to know, uh, you got all that crap growing out there. What is it? Um, you at least want to, I'd, you'd probably like to be able to identify some of the trees out there. You'd probably like to know which things smell good and which things don't and what you can eat or nibble on anyway, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and you want to, if you see a snake, you want to know whether he's safe to be around. Um, you want to know the world you live in so that you don't worry about things, you know? If you go into out in your woods, you're going to pass a copperhead as like as not. And the copperhead is going to remain perfectly still if you don't step on him. Mm. And you'll walk right by him and never knew he, know he was there. And uh, if you step on him, he might just bite you. And if it's an adult copperhead, there's a really good chance he won't inject any venom. Hmm. Uh, they don't like to waste it. Um, if you if they if they pump some venom in you, then they have to recharge before they can hunt. So a, a lot of the time, if that poisonous snake bites you, it will not really do you any or very much harm. Hmm. And even if it did, it wouldn't kill you. Uh, it's not. The people, adult healthy people do not die of, of copperhead bites. Uh, lots of people are afraid of snakes because they've heard stories about copperheads. It's the only poisonous snake you're going to run into here. There aren't any rattlesnakes out there. Um, and uh, But, you know, what is the black rat snake? You run into a black rat snake, if you know what he eats and how he lives his life, you'll start liking seeing him. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, yep. and, uh, 
And there's some real beauties in the little tiny snakes that out, live out there. <clears throat> Go find a couple. It'll make you happier, you know? Yeah. Or when you run across Mr. Toad. Um, oh, I love I love Mr. Toad. I never, you know, I've, I've been here for a while and I never see turtles. And I really like them. And I never, ever see them. How close are you to, fruit, to even a little bitty stream? It's right down there. Real okay. close. Yeah. They like to, they don't like to get a million miles from a stream. Mm. But if you've got one right over there, that's good. Yeah. Um, they got to be around. I don't see as many as I used to. I've seen a couple this year, but I used to see them all the time. And uh, especially, you know what's really glorious? A box turtle shell is not quite tall enough for my lawnmower blade to get it. So if I if I'm mowing tall grass and I run over a turtle, he's terrified but he ain't hurt. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> they were designed just beautifully for me. <laughs> so so you get a lot from nature. Oh yeah. And like I mean I I house sat for you one time I guess and you gave me a fossil and you've got like all these cool rocks and fossils and crystals and shit around the house like yeah. like where did that passion come? Where did it start, I guess? Had a guy in uh, junior high school that was a rock collector. I think it ran in the family. And he had a small collection of rocks. And uh, so we started trying to figure out how we could collect some rocks. And then they started up a gym and mineral club locally. And we joined that. Um this is a charmed life story. Um, we joined the Gem and Mineral Club, and there we met a guy named Harold Henshaw. And I appreciate the fact that you just gave me the opportunity to mention Harold Henshaw's name. Harold Henshaw was a, a retired scoutmaster, among many other things. And he took me and my buddy Bert all over the state to places where you could find rocks. And we started our collection there. And uh, and that was glorious. And he had no reason to give us any time of day. He would always make us, a each one of us, a sandwich that was um, that uh, Swiss cheese food product mm. and a few pickles. And to this day... I don't like cheese food product, but I like that. Or I, 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 I miss that. Yeah. But it would have to be a sandwich he made on white bread. Um, and uh, we'd go up there and we'd go into these old mines. And um, North Carolina is littered with old mines where you can find rocks. Um, it turns out North Carolina has more different kinds of minerals than any other place on earth the same size. Really? Really. That I didn't know. Um, uh, even along the Appalachian Mountains, we've had three mountain-forming events of, uh, of note. The, the first one gave us the, uh, the taller peaks we've got in the western part of the state. Those mountains, there's a lot of people who don't know this, those mountains were at one time taller 
than the Himalayas are now. Huh. <laughs> How did they get shorter? Erosion. Huh. Uh, that, it was a really, 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 really <laughs> long time ago. But the Appalachian Mountains and the Alleghenies as you move north make an arc that goes all the way across Scotland and into part of Europe. Um, they're really old, and they were part of the giant one continent that the Earth used to have right. um, before it broke up. Um, and then we had another orogeny that rammed a bunch of... Well, every time you have an orogeny, or mountain-forming event, you get minerals that are really deep in the soil, and one side on the, or the other gets higher than the ground level. And so um, you get rocks that are, that are not available to other people because they never got dug up from miles down in some cases. Um, and so there's that one, and then there's the uh, Uaris. And uh, all of them have rocks from deep down in Mother, uh, Mother Earth. We find they found uh, just a couple of diamonds in North Carolina, but they have been found here. Mm. And uh, we're good for emeralds and rubies. And uh, it, we're, we're a very special place. If anybody's interested in rocks, they can slide on out to the fairgrounds. There's uh, the the Forsyth County um, Gem and Mineral Club has a a rock show they do every year. They've been doing it for 50 years, and it's one of the best ones in the southeast. And it costs two dollars to get in or something. It costs nothing. They have door prizes, and you can go look at. If you like jewelry, they've got plenty of it. If you just like to look at minerals. That's there too. <laughs> thanks yeah. for the thanks for giving me an opportunity to plug them. Yeah. Uh, when does this happen? Uh, May uh, September 9th, tenth, and eleventh. Really? Yeah. That shit that worked out so well. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't even plan that. Nope. Damn. It must have been in the. You were uh, dang fool enough to ask me to come <laughs> over and talk to you. <laughs> Why? Is Pilot Mountain standing there all by itself? Erosion. So was there? It was more mountains around it, and is is that all that's left? Actually, the a little above the top of Pilot Mountain was how high the dirt was for a while. Oh, but it was flat. Oh, and Pilot Mountain was the hardest pile of dirt. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Well, you remember me telling you that the mountains were as tall as the Himalayas? Uh huh. All that erosion, all the dirt came down this way. And it all got lifted up. Um, and Pilot Mountain and the other Saratown Mountains. Pilot Mountain is not a mountain. It's called a Monadnock. Mm. Um, and a Monadnock is just that. It's a, an individual mountain. It's not part of a, a range or anything. And it's just the hardest plate the place the dirt was. And the water ran around it. <laughs> Interesting. So that, is, uh, that explains it. Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I didn't. I think someone told me recently. I mean, like when you were talking about how old the Appalachian Mountains are. Are are they like some of the older mountains in the world? That yes. whole mountain range. Yes. Are they number one, or, or just uh, in the? Top? I don't think that question can be answered yet. I gotcha. Okay. But they're very old. Um, the the 
the real part is that they got really, really big, and a, a mountain range that wasn't as big may be gone altogether now, mm. you know? Um, and so uh, it's, uh, we don't know, really know all of the geology yet. We're still learning, but I could have spent three hours or more of my time just talking about the the geology of North Carolina. Yeah. It's so fascinating. Um, I think I kind of wish, I mean, that would be a really good conversation to have. I think next time we do this, that's what we should Oh, do. you're assuming I'll ever come back. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> if I haven't scared you off with all my communist jargon. <laughs> my, my, no, whatever. the world is boring <laughs> if you don't have people that disagree with you. I agree. Or do I? <laughs> I disagree. There you go. <laughs> a, a teacher in school once said, you know, you just like to argue. And I said, no, I don't. And he said, see what I mean? I was like, you bastard. Um, last question, because I've been talking to so many people about gardens. Uh, what are you, what, what, is, what do you, I feel like when I talk to people, they have like a main thing. For me, when I started this little teeny tiny garden i was like most excited about growing pumpkins and i'm sure it changes over the years i know pumpkins hmm? why pumpkins i don't know i don't know i just think they're so interesting uh i like their personality and also i think like i am interested in the fact that we grow so many pumpkins and don't eat them and i think like i'm intrigued by maybe trying to find more uses for them in in like my diet or whatever uh, okay for that time of the year where they're around because they're not always but squat there anyway you get the idea um do you have like a main thing like a main uh yeah fruit vegetable whatever is that, my garden centered around anything yeah or or just whatever you enjoy the most like growing um i'm really fond of tomatoes because i've been successful with them Mm. And I'm, uh, some years I have the rest of my garden is good and some years not. A couple of years back I had a, a very poor tomato crop. But tomatoes I love. Squash, um, summer squash and winter squash. I love both of them. Um, and uh, I'm trying really hard to get somehow good at the broccoli and cabbage family. Um mm. They have an advantage that many of them can overwinter. You can still have fresh things out of your garden, right? Uh, all year round. Um, Which you'd make a good winter gardener, I suppose, right? Better than I am a summer gardener. Yeah, I love the cold weather. Yeah, um, and the weeds don't, and so we get along fine. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I like that. I like to try. Uh, one of the things that's always appealing to me. Um, Sure, you can plant pumpkins out there, or you can plant this pumpkin. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, you and, like to uh, find like the 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 variety that for you or whatever is that? What yeah, you mean? Uh, one of the things about me in gardens is when the corn comes in, they start being twenty cents an ear after a while. Mm -hmm. You know, or the moral equivalent nowadays, um, when the local gardens are producing. The regular stuff is cheap, but you don't have to do that. You can, I've got um, 
chocolate beauty peppers and gypsy peppers, which are both um, um, in the bell pepper family. They're not hot. Hmm. And uh, the chocolate beauties are really about as close to brown as you can imagine. Um, all shiny and brown, and they keep their color when you cook them. And they're delicious. And the, um, the gypsies, they're ivory colored with a blush of a blush of orange when you do those they're also really pretty Hmm. and they also they don't taste quite like a green bell pepper but they're in that family and because they're not hot i can serve them to diana all day long and you know diana likes a little bit of sparkle in her food but she doesn't like a ton of it yeah um and uh i've got some um Poblano peppers down there. How uh, do you do? Have you done poblanos? I, I grew some, but they're they're like this big. They like I don't. Mine, I don't. Mine get about yay long. Yeah, mine did not get close, and I noticed with both my pepper plants, I've got bell peppers and poblanos out there, and I mean, I I kind of started my garden a little late. Maybe that's what it was, but they just kind of chilled after a while, and then just in the last two weeks, all of a sudden have been like uh, flowering and acting like they're about to produce, they, like they want to produce a whole lot more fruit. So maybe it was just because we There's had a really time. hot summer, you know, but uh, they didn't, they weren't cooperating much for a while there. Uh, only if we had can like hold two. off the first hard frost, you probably get some. Okay, that's what I'm going to try And to you can pick them young. It won't hurt them. Gotcha. Um, but, uh, so I like to plant unusual things. I've got a, Two kinds of pole beans I grow. This year it's uh, rattlesnake beans and Grandma Nettie's uh, mushroom beans. Um, both of them are just beans. The rattlesnakes are green beans. And they're modeled with purple. Mm. Um, they taste like green beans, except just a little different, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Not really what you'd brag about but they're a little musky or something i don't know i've been growing those for some time and the grandma nettie's i grew a long time ago and then i remembered them this year they're yellow and they keep their color and uh both of those are not too stringy and i grow them up on the i told you you could come out and take a look at my trellises um those are uh growing on a trellis although they're spent for this year Mm. Um, although I've got beans on those plants that would be a good source of bean seeds cool so we can do that hell yeah Um, even those kind of beans you can you can save you can pick them for seeds or you can pick them and dry them and eat them as dry beans right they don't mind that at all so I do those. We always try melons and always fail. Mm. Never been able to get the melons to work. Not even watermelon? Um, Diana's not fond of watermelons. Yeah. And I'm kind of um, sure I can grow a cantaloupe. <laughs> or I actually have a thing about cantaloupes because I, I grew them one year and I got these cantaloupes <laughs> and I had a lot of them. And before any of them got ripe, the, the groundhogs got them. Oh, man. <laughs> I didn't get a single one of them. That'll ruin your day. <laughs> it did. Um, t- 
To this day, that's the only kind of animal that Diana approves of me shooting. Really? <laughs> yeah. I have a mole that's like digging around underneath my garden, and I don't really know. Like, I haven't seen any evidence that it has fucked up anything, but I can tell that it's going right. Are you under. sure it's a mole? No, I'm not sure. Um, I have. I haven't had a bad problem this year, but I have often had an invasion of voles. Hmm. A vole looks very like a mole except that it doesn't have the hard digging equipment in the front paws hmm. and that funny nose that, moles, that most moles have. Well, if it's a mole, it's eating bugs. They're, uh, they're carnivorous and voles are uh, uh, vegetarians. Ah. I had a whole crop of all purple sweet potatoes one year and uh, I was pulling out, when I got time to harvest them, I was pulling out little pieces of peppers or of, of potatoes that would have been this long you know i didn't really get any um other than the greens i didn't really have anything to eat out of those mm. um you know you can eat sweet potato greens mm. okay. well okay uh i think we i think we covered everything <laughs> oh sure uh, invite me over and then run me off <laughs> no <Nah, laughs> we might go look at the garden a little i don't know but uh i guess formally i'll shut it down and we'll probably just talk more about okay. it. I don't know, but uh trey thank you for coming and doing this and for showing me this mushroom from my yard <laughs> appreciate it i had fun Good. i really did that's what um, i'm hoping for i didn't know what to think when i came up here <laughs> <laughs>